hi, hello. Let's fucking cut that out. Um, yeah, right now it is, uh, <laughs> it's April 23rd, Saturday. 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock p.m. The Eastern time. Eastern time. Uh, I'm Rich Meister. Ray McGill is here again. This is the second. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's going to be fine. This is the second and probably last part of our PAX coverage in uh, podcast form. So, yeah, I mean, you know, look for the third part, which is a video that will be in, like, night vision colors. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 the assault on Saddam's fortress. Um, we're assault rich. We have a lot more games to talk about, and uh, following suit with yesterday, I feel like we're pretty high on most of the stuff we played today. Yes, that is for sure. I was, in, you know, not surprised at the games themselves. But just like, you know, today is Saturday. It's the busiest day during the con. I even had to say this was the first time walking into PAX 2022 where it felt like PAX. <laughs> sure. Yeah, this is and probably the only day that will. Um, but yeah, let's get right into it. Games. Yeah. Uh, so the first thing I saw today was Power Cord from Big Blue Bubble. Um, this game is for, for anyone who has played a deck builder roguelite game the likes of slay the spire uh this is very slay the spire i believe even on the business cards uh for this they literally wrote the phrase like slay the spire and brutal legend had a demonic child oh i would i would watch that child yeah we'd all watch it uh it all it definitely takes voice by jack black it takes a little bit from things like darkest dungeon too in terms of like the party uh confirmation but basically it's a deck builder that is like rock themed um you're choosing four characters when you start a run they're basically four classes in the band you are forming there's a singer guitarist bassist and drummer uh your singer is your healer guitarist is your main dps the bassist does sort of like aoe and status ailment based attacks and the drummer is your tank so basically you are squaring off against other parties of enemies or sometimes bosses where there's a level of predictability to it, right? Because your attacks are based off cards you're drawing. Um, as you progress, you're going to have chances to unlock more cards, spend currency on card, and change your deck manifestation. Like, how big is your deck, you know, normally? Like, is it like 40 cards, 20 cards? You start a run with, I believe, like 15 cards. Okay, it's so a small. That, yeah, that's how most of these builders kind of tend to start. Um, but yeah, cards correspond to a certain character. Every character has individual health. If a character drops, you cannot play their cards anymore. So building too strong in like one direction, which I was kind of starting to do on my run, but it was working for me. Um, I was basically building up a rage mechanic that the guitarist has where for every rage he has, he inflicts one more damage with every one of his attacks. Okay, so then you're just kind of making sure this guitarist cannot die. Yeah, so I was like as support cards, I was putting defenses up on him. The other thing that's kind of cool is before you finish your turn, you can see you don't see what cards your enemy is going to play, but you can see which of them is going to do damage and who they're going to attack with it and how much they're going to do. So you get like 80% of the information. So you can mitigate that by trying to stun the enemy who's planning an attack so he can't attack next turn. Or you can put... There are cards up like barriers. It's like this barrier negates one attack. So uh, one of those cards will be completely null. So you can't really predict how much of the damage you're going to save off, but also if you buff yourself up enough, you can pretty much negate all of it. Um, because enemies and your characters also have, uh, they have health and they have armor. Uh, certain cards can't break armor, they only attack health. Um, certain status effects only happen, like, for example, 
the singer I was using had this buff where for every attack she did, she would gain health back, but only health based attacks. So she doesn't get that for taking armor off. Okay, so you have to decide which of those two bars you're going to attack. If they have armor, you're always attacking armor first. Okay, okay. So it's okay. just something to keep in mind. Like, so if you have something I might not fl- want to use this attack on this guy because it has five armor, so I'm not going to get the health I would normally get back. Yeah, and if you have something that say only attacks health, you're like, I have to wait to use this. Exactly. Okay. Um, but yeah, I play. There's a demo for this on Steam right now. So uh, anyone at home can download this and check it out. I definitely plan on checking out a little bit more. They are looking to launch this summer, and there's going to be a roadmap through 2022. They said where content like new characters and new sort of options in the run will come out. So this is going to have some pretty good coverage. Uh, Next up, Ray, I want to hear about Phantom Brigade from you. Phantom Brigade was actually a game that Rich and I just sort of looked at for a little bit together when we got there on Thursday. But today, this morning, I had a actual in a closed door showing and demo of the game. Like this is one of the few boots that um, instead of had the space for that. Yeah, well, they had the space, but, you know, and they used it. They took part of their space to dedicate it to this, where a lot of the games you and I played, Rich, were doing on the floor. Yeah, you have all the noise and the distraction, kind of like one of the main reasons I didn't really remark about Power Chord's music too much, because it's definitely a big part of that game, but it's hard to take that in on the show floor, so I plan on doing that demo in private at some point. Yeah, whereas for Phantom Brigade, they brought me into a little room with a computer, gave me a pair of headphones, and it was quiet in there. That I don't know if they just did some soundproofing or if they put up like enough like plywood to sort of absorb a lot of the sound, but it was like... It didn't feel like I was out on the floor, so I was able to put on these headphones, really take in the music. Um, Not quite the level of, like, Tectonica that we talked about yesterday. That no, level of no. closed-door demo, but still still good. This was second-best way of doing it. I played it. the Messenger for the first time behind a curtain in a small booth on the show floor. And that's a fantastic game. That's um, one of my favorite games ever. Yeah. So, yeah, Phantom Brigade is a game being made by a small team. It's been in development now for a while. It's in early access now, right? Yes. On Epic? On Epic, yes. You can purchase it right now. Um, I forget how much is that. $30. $30, $30, yeah, $29.99. Um, But based on what I've played, and I even saw in the trail, like they were playing trailers around, um, it said they're only billed like 17 or something like that. So they've iterated quite a bit on this already, and it shows. So this game is a turn-based tactics game using mech units. And these mech units, uh, they sort of run the gamut from heavy, don't really move around a lot, to where you have some nimble stuff. Like, nothing like, you know, this isn't G Gundam. You don't have, like, karate ninja robots. But, you know, these guys are pretty nimble. It feels very good. So the way this game works is, um, instead of having a player turn and an enemy turn, the... AI is almost telegraphed what they're going to do, but only five seconds in advance. So like what they're just going to do next. So then when you're able to advance the timeline and see what they're going to do, you can plan your moves out accordingly. So say you know that a tank is going to fire in the direction of your light unit. You can position your heavy unit in front of that blast before the blast goes off. Yeah, and they have a shield so they can take the hit a lot better. And then even maybe counterattack by running into the tank with the shield and maybe even knocking it out of the way before it could even get the shot off. So you play out the timeline, you see what the enemy's going to do, you plan your moves accordingly. All your weapons have firing radiuses, so you have to account for that, you have to account for hitting your own troops. Like, I had my two mechs actually run into each other, and the lighter one fell over. 
That's funny. Yeah, and it did damage to the lighter one. I still ended up winning the round because I did get the tactics focus from the get-go where, like, how the timeline works. And it really is, like, an interesting mechanic. It's not as static as, say, um, uh, Into the Breach. Yes. I think it was the main thing you and I compared it to when we first heard this. And it, like you said, it's not a literally, like, portent of the future, but it's more yeah. like, here's the move they're probably going to go for, so you have an option to kind of cut them off here. You may need, like, 30% of the information that, like, Into the Breach gives you about, like, time, because also time is a more fluid thing, because each uh, faction, your faction and the enemy faction, will react at once, and if an enemy was acting later than your other units move, they will then react to that, though, because they're not, you know, they're not lemmings. They're not going to run into a suicide. Yeah, yeah. It's not just like, well, I committed to this 15 minutes ago, so now I must do this. Exactly. Where, like, whereas Into the Breach, more than a tactics game, it's really more of a puzzle game. Yes. You know, it's about optimizing the information, you know. About you were given all the information in Into the Breach. Yeah, so you have to optimize your turn based on that information. This is more of a true tactics game where... The enemy is reactive, but you're reactive. But then there's also a sense of proactivity on both sides that that time mechanic imparts. And I think it's pretty unique for that. Um, Also, you know, the environments are destructible. You can, you know, knock enemies into buildings. You can be knocked into buildings and they have a full physics sort of like algorithm or just like the knowledge of physics in the game is pretty high where units have weights. So like if a heavier target bashes into a lighter one, the lighter one will get pushed over. But if a light target slams into a heavy one, the heavy one will be kind of fine. You know, there's a lot going on there. And it's it turns out to be a very fun game, at least from the demo that I played, you know, and it's story based. You know, it's you know, it rather it's not story based. It's single player based to where you are. You have a sort of you're going to have a base building mechanic sort of a la XCOM um, expansion. You know, you're going to be able to buy new parts for your units, sort of. It, it just there's a lot going on and it, it seems fantastic. Awesome. That's cool. Uh, I, yeah, I think uh, I'm glad to hear good things about you from it because we both had some interest in that. Um, before we start diving into some of the at least two that I know we're going to have probably like 10 minutes apiece on. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask you about uh, D-Team. D-Team. Out. So D-Team is a game that initially we saw together on the first day. Now, we didn't really have much like to like. We weren't sort of getting into like talking to people like in depth or anything like that, but we got a general idea of the game from the team. I actually went back the next day. <clears throat> well, I believe you were at an appointment. And I just wanted to jot some stuff down about what we talked about. So D team is made by um, a pair of twin brothers. One does all the tech stuff. One does all the business stuff. And they claim it works great because they don't get in each other's way. And they both seem very nice. Yeah, yeah, identical twins. They both seem very nice, very knowledgeable. Now, D-Team stands for Dwarves, Tanks, Energy, Ammo, and Mmm, Gold. Mmm, perfect. Yeah, exactly. I like dwarf games. Yeah, so this is a game, though, where all the dwarves are piloting tanks. It's a 3D tank platformer, and with sort of action tank battles where it's a single player game so it's not like you know a tank arcade game you'll find it like a dave and busters it's single player pve where you're trying to collect five gold points throughout the level and then get to the exit point and each of these performances during the stages will get rated um and you'll get you know different armaments and loadouts 
according to the level because the level aren't randomized they're all made you know intentionally sure and i did ask some stupid questions like you know if you're used to tolkien-esque dwarves you know dungeon and dragons lord of the Rings, stuff like that world of warcraft dwarves are often given scottish accents so i actually asked will these dwarves have scottish accents yes they will perfect perfect um and the build that we saw actually that we saw briefly and i saw a little bit more um is actually based on three and a half months of work so they're doing a really good job they said it's some of their inspirations are sort of Mega Man Legends and Mario 64. It's a like mid 90s, you know, first 3D generation. Yeah, early polygonal platforming. And I can tell you right now, Mega Man Legends was cited because I mentioned it looked like, you know, it looked like the look of Mega Man Legends, like the blockiness, the color palette, stuff like that. And they said it's one of their inspirations I saw in the shooting. Um, now, in the spirit of this being an older style game, they said there's going to be no subscription, no microtransaction. You buy the game. That is the game, which, you know, to some degree is refreshing. Yeah, no, sometimes that's nice to just known quantity, get the product and enjoy it. Yeah. And their goal is to have it out soon. Their goal is to have it out in August of 2022. That's very uh, soon. Yeah. So that's and, you know, late summer. They didn't say a price, but. You know, based on what I saw, I it's not going to be a you're not going to be paying seventy five dollars for this. <laughs> no, you know this is not probably somewhere between the twenty and thirty dollar range. I would if, imagine. If I had to guess, yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, I'm gonna keep you going on the dwarf train. Oh, uh, dwarf, yeah. dwarf, dwarf is an interesting game. So, dwarf is made by a small team. Um, it is a game that sort of looks. Not entirely like, more like a more modern pixel art design. Think overhead Legend of Zelda Link to the Past level, like a little bit more advanced 16-bit. So let's say not quite the jump from 16 to 3D, but let's say 20-bit. It's, you know, a little smoother, a little just less rough around the edges. This is a game where you are going through levels. It's an adventure game, something like The Legend of Zelda, the old SNES and NES entries, one and three. Um... But instead of swinging a sword around like Link does, this is a tower defense game where once you get in like an enemy zone, you start laying down different defense towers, whether they shoot projectiles, have spinning blades, and then hordes of enemies start coming at you and getting bigger and bigger as you're placing more and more stuff. And, you know, you then have to just sort of use what you have around you then to fend off your enemies now this is interesting though because there is no build phase like what you normally see in a tower defense game or you know what you saw you know 13 years ago balloons baby yeah you'd have time to be like i'm gonna place her here 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 and here i'm ready to go here now start the, the wave or like there's a countdown but also you can just hit like start the wave but there's also like usually they're just coming from like one direction or you know, you know it's saying, actually the last time i think about like playing a lot of a, a tower defense game there was that Xbox Live Arcade South Park Tower Defense. There was a South Park one. There was also that Final Fantasy Crystal Defenders, I think it was called. Yeah, there was a big run of those. I mean, hell, even Assassin's Creed uh, Revelations had a tower defense game. In that it. you could ignore entirely, should you want. Yeah, you only have to do the initial one, and that's all you should do. Um, but this seems more like an evolution, though. This isn't like a slavish return to an tower X-Men defense. X-Men evolution? No. Okay. No. Never mind, then. No. Just... Why? We, now we have to do this whole fucking thing over. What do you mean? You, you just, you fucked up that bad. No, that this was, is staying in. That was stupid. You're stupid. I'm your boss, kinda. No, you're not my, no, you were my boss if you were paying me for this. Yeah, I mean. 
Tell me more about Dwarf. <laughs> okay, so Dwarf. Um, honestly, it looks like a lot of fun. It looks like the evolution of this tower defense genre. It doesn't look like they're trying to go back to anything. It looks like they're trying to take what worked about it, what made it exciting, and then presenting a more, not even fresh take, but a take that is more evergreen. I mean, just look at Tunic. People are going nuts over that. So. That game is pretty cool. Yeah, I still need to play it, but it does seem Well, great. if you wanted to ruin it all, Josh translated it. Plug. Yeah, <laughs> no, I heard Josh is a fucking crazy insane person. Insane person. Yeah, yeah to, he's, a good, he's a good insane does person. He know, is he one of those people who like, knows Klingon? I don't think he's gone that far. He knows a lot of languages. Okay, oh, well, he's a polyglot? But like real ones. Yeah, but I mean... And Ham- Tolkien Elvish. I mean, he doesn't. I don't think he knows that. Yeah, Hamlet was translated to Klingon. It's as much a real language as anything. This seems like a whole different thing. Probably, Josh, you should learn Klingon. Learn Klingon, bud. We know you're editing this. Um, all right. Uh, so we have, like I was saying, we have two bigger ones, and now we have two smaller ones less. Let's get one of the bigger ones out of the way. Uh, Ayudin Chronicle Rising. We both went to check this game out. That's out. In like two weeks. Full disclosure, both Rich and I backed Ayudin Chronicles 100 Heroes on Kickstarter. Yeah, and this is a prequel to that. Um, you guys have heard me on the main podcast talk about uh, so you got in before and how important that series is. Uh, Ray has the same feelings about that series. I, like, I have a deep, deep love for that series, except for four, which I tried playing again recently. It is not good. But one is great, two is one of the greatest games of all time, three is really fun, four is four, and five is an all-time great. <laughs> great. So yeah, uh, Union Chronicles 100 Heroes Rising is, uh, that'll be out next year. That is a big uh, homage Just to... Just 100 Heroes, you said Rising at the end. Well, yeah, oh, because I added the title yeah, of this Yeah, one. you said Union yeah, Chronicles 100 Heroes Uh Well, yeah, so... That is a spiritual successor to Sue Coden. This game, Ayudin Chronicles, Ayudin uh, Chronicles Rising. There we go. Is um, an action RPG set in the same universe, um, that basically sets up the story of the turn-based game that'll be coming out later. But this is an action game that is also using that two D, three D art. It looks gorgeous, and also we just need to say, going into this, that. This game is not just like a short four hour. T- it's not Ground Zero's Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, no, we were told there's somewhere in the range of about 30 hours. 20 to 30. Yeah, that's if you're just doing if you're just mainlining it. He said like our point of contact. He's, yeah, he said yeah, if, the PR guy we were talking to was telling us quite a bit about he, he was saying, you could, you know, easily put 55 to 60 into this. Yeah, if you're doing all the side quests, which, you know, if today was any indication just how that game is going to flow, like, and this was right from the beginning, it's, I could see myself putting in the 50 hours. Yeah, uh, Ray's the one who actually got hands-on with it. I was standing behind him watching him play, but I wanted to... It was kind of creepy. Talk, it was, like, I was breathing heavily. I offered him a Ricola. Um, I took it. He did. I got it from Zach, the PR guy. Thanks, Zach. Um, I didn't finish it. Okay, I didn't really need that. Now They, he, they needed that. Okay. The people. Tell me about how it played. <laughs> What, the Ricola? Like no, that's no. Right. It doesn't like, video, it's like fizzy, like Pop Rocks. I know, I had one too. Oh, okay. Video game. R- the video are good. <laughs> yeah, they're good, and they boost your immune system. We're at a convention. Yeah, okay, so Ricola no. Rising. <laughs> Iudin Chronicles, Ricola Rising. Okay, so in this game you play as, per- as a person in this uh, clan of scavengers. Sure. 
and you are making your way to this town where a large fissure with mines and stuff opened up in the town, and the mayor of the town is charging for licenses for adventurers to come on down and plumb the depths. Yeah, you're on, you're like, yeah, basically, like, that sort of coming-of-age thing to go do it. Yeah, and uh, what's her name? C C E. I forget what her name is. CJ? CJ, thank you. Yeah, um, she uses these twin pickaxes as weapons. Now, this is not a Minecraft game. You can't be like, oh, look, pickaxes. But you can murder some dudes. Oh, you can murder the hell out of some dudes and some monsters. So this is a lizard with a cowboy hat. Well, he was a nice guy. He's a merchant. Oh, okay. And then there was also the bird appraiser. With the monocle. Yes. Yeah, I hope to all that is holy and unholy. Whoever will listen that that character is in. I'm sorry, a kangaroo with a huge sword, but we'll get to that soon. Yeah. So in this game, you follow the course of three characters. Now, you know, they're not confirming or denying one way or the other that these three characters will appear in Hundred Heroes because I bet you, you at know. least one of them is one of the Hundred Heroes. At le- I would have to imagine at least one. I will not be surprised if all three of them are. Wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if like there's like a twist with one of them. It's like the village where it's actually modern day outside, but you just live in a village. I just spoiled this horrible M. Night you just, Shyamalan yeah, that, movie. the worst of M. Night Shyamalan's films. No, how about the one where Grass decided to kill everyone? The Happening. Oh, The Happening sucks. Yeah, it's worse than The Village. I, I Yeah, I guess I, I don't know. The Village sticks out to me. Yeah. Okay. Iodine Chronicles Rising. Much better than The Happening or The Village. Yeah, definitely. Just from the demo I played. I know it. I didn't play the whole game. So can I say objectively whether or not the whole game is better than The Village? No. But if just that small slice of it is, I'd bet you the whole thing. Yeah, is. If, I, if I was to put money, and I would put money on Iodine Chronicles Rising being a lot better than The Village because one is a garbage film and the other is a very fun, well written, well animated well-designed in combat action game. Yeah. And again, I can't stress how pretty this art looks. No, it gave me certain vibes. Like, it, it has that HD2D aesthetic. You see Octopath Traveler and stuff like that. I would say it even goes a little bit lighter in some of the things like Shadows and stuff. But backgrounds... It goes a bit harder in yeah. characters even, too, I think. And uh, we didn't get up to see any of this, but RPR uh, handler Zach was telling us, basically, that all of the bosses in this game are hand-drawn. Yes, yes, we didn't get to any of the bosses, but even the backgrounds, the backgrounds look beautiful. They get like almost like a painterly watercolor vibe that reminded me of Secret of Mana 2 on um, the PS1 as sort of like using watercolors to make backgrounds seem farther away with the muted stuff. It looked really nice. You know, it's vibrant. Um, The enemies were well designed. It's just it, it animates well. Characters have special attacks. You eventually will have three heroes in the game. You have CJ, you have uh, the Kang. There is a kangaroo we saw in a later save. I believe Caro is his name. Yeah. Uh, he has a huge, he's like your warrior and he has this huge like buster sword he slams down. Yeah, he's the heavy. Yeah. He's the heavy. He has a big sword. It just comes straight down like Orin style. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's a kangaroo man. So he, he's got good jumps. He has jumping. I don't know if it was functionally any different from the other jump, but it was sort of. You were it, definitely getting higher. Oh, okay. Jump, like by a large amount when then when you were jumping a CJ. And you know what? For some parts of the game, especially later on when you have all the characters, because when we didn't get to try was the magic user. Yeah. But their different abilities might bear on like there is platforming in the game. So the kangaroo 
you switch to him. I could see them doing some Metroidvania style yeah. stuff with abilities, uh, but well, that remains. Well, we already saw it with the doors, actually. Yeah, there that, certain that... rocks that he had to break down with a huge sword, and then there was like a magic crystal that it seemed clear that magic. Like, yeah, we can't confirm it, but it seems like it's going to be magic to clear those out of the way. Yeah. So, what was that puzzle game? Trine, where like some people yeah. are better at other stuff. It sort of was of that. Um, no, but it just it's out so soon, and it is out on Game Pass, so. If you are part of that Xbox sort of culture, you know, and you have Game Pass, because why wouldn't you at this point? You know, it's the best value for the system. Yes. And, and their entire ecosystem, no matter which generation you have at the moment. And who who knows this? You might get so into this that you're like, well, now I need to get that full game. Like, like the... 100 Heroes. Yeah, the 100 Heroes. Uh, and now, just remember, 100 Heroes is going to be very different. Where this was an action RPG, what did they... Odin Sphere they also compared it to? That sort of Vanillaware yeah, games? It, yes, Odin, Odin Sphere, things like that, in terms of... That was, I believe, and this is probably more the case, there is a lot that people who played Odin Sphere, and I like that game quite a bit, uh, would see in common going into this, but the hand-drawn bosses is probably what sings Odin's fear to me. No, and the art looks good. I think I even pointed out two guards that look like they would have belonged right, they in right out of Sukoden, yeah. Yeah, so. like, but like, yeah, they looked like, you know, obviously up-res and in that 2D HD style. Um, no, it's, I can't stress enough, this game looks great, it plays great. It's an action RPG, though, whereas... 100 Heroes will be a traditional turn-based RPG, I believe much in the vein of code, and even having the same number of characters in Battle 6. Whereas this is you controlling one person at a time and wailing on monsters in real time. Yes, but set all in the same world. Set in the same world. Um, he said it was sort of like parallel and maybe, you know, there might be moments of concurrence, but he said also he does not want, you know, the company does well, no, not no, it's, want. It's, it's a prequel. It's a pre. He, I think he said it, something where like no, no, it might... prequels. What what he was talking about was it is a prequel that directly sets up the events. Oh, okay, what okay. happens here sets up the what sparks uh, hundred heroes. Yeah, and basically from what he was telling us is there's no set in stone plan, but there's probably going to be some bonuses in hundred heroes for people that have already played this. Yeah, but they also don't want you to feel like you have to play. No, this. it's not required reading, but it will add flavor to the story for the people that want it. Yeah, because let's not forget, this is an extra game that's coming, essentially. The because game the Kickstarter was, did so well. Yeah, the Kickstarter was for the turn-based game. Yes. But this game... Is, this was a stretch goal. This is a stretch goal, and it's turning out to be a very good stretch goal. Yes. Uh, all right, so moving on from that, uh, let's talk about Super Marxist Twins. Super Marxist Twins. Uh, this is a game made Do by... Do you like Mario, team? Comrade? Do I like Mario Comrade? I mean, look at the red and how he's a common man working for the people, taking down the king. The capitalist pigs? The Bowser. Nah, man, the fucking turtles. Didn't you know, man? Turtles really run everything. I did know that. This game is a metaphor. What's a metaphor? It's when King Koopa kidnaps everything that's good in the world. Princess Toadstool. And the common man needs to rise up, get all the coins from these enemies, redistribute it to himself, and then kill a turtle with fireballs. Right. So this game uh, is a platformer uh, in the style of classic Mario that from straight from the dev's mouth to us is very much just like his pitch for this game was what if... What if the USSR ripped off Super Mario Bros.? Yes, like what would it be like if... Uh, 
you know, the USSR were tasked with making a video game, you know, with propaganda being the heat of it, like, you know, a state-sponsored version of Mario from Russia. Yeah, so this is the Super Marxist Twins. I cannot remember their names. You know, they are, you know, USSR sounding enough of the era. Yes. So you control one of the two brothers, and there's also a co-op mode. Um, One brother is able to fling sickles. The other brother is able to fling hammers. When you do, depending on who you pick, because, you know, it's obviously Mario and Luigi choice, there's like a weird life system where when you die, you just kind of jump in as the other brother if you already have them following you. Yes, and if you have them following you, you can command them to throw their weapon. Yeah. So, and their weapons are able to break different obstacles. Both weapons will take down enemies, which in this case, I believe, were mice, and then pigs with with guns guns that were representing the capitalist bourgeoisie pigs. Yeah, when you get to the castles in this game, they're just, you know, mansions that you burn down, and then the capitalist pig literally runs out of them. Yes, it is a pig with a nice suit and a monocle. So both weapons take down normal enemies. However, though, there's two different types of obstacle blocks. There's what appears to be hay bales, which can only be cut by the sickles, thrown by our green-clad brother, our comrade in green. And then hammers, even more thematically appropriate considering the character inspiration. Yeah, yeah. Can be thrown levels. bricks and broken by our comrade in soviet red yes um and like the weapons thrown different arcs like the hammers kind of get lobbed forward and bounced the sickles get thrown in like a huge upward arc uh you also throw them straight actually the sickles oh no sorry i was i was the upward arc yeah you're right the sickles get thrown straight the hammers kind of throw in an arc now they also bounce off things so i played this game like we played at the same time now did you see you could throw the uh, weapons of like any direction to like you could jump and throw them down. I didn't realize that. Yeah, no, if you were like jumping, you could throw them down. Now, this game's probably a little bit more straight up combat heavy than say a Super Mario one. Now, wasn't their goal to make Super Mario one shot for shot just, you know, Sovietized? They're making their own thing. You can tell where the inspiration comes from, though, and the game feels good. Does it feel absolutely amazing yet no but they're still working on it yeah like and i'm not sure they're really going for that mario level fidelity it's out in early access is that correct it is i i i purchased the early access so we can give it a try um once i get home from the con i'm probably actually going to dive into a lot of the because a lot of these games do have demos and being able to we dive into giving, them we were giving copies of a few and a lot of them have demos we yeah giving copies of some stuff that's out there. yeah and we're probably going to get some more stuff too like we're, we're, the thing is Cons and, you know, probably a lot of you have been to some form of convention. And if you have been, you probably know, especially if you get to try a demo for anything, whether it's a board game or a video game or you're hearing like someone read something. It's not ideal when you're on a convention floor because there's just so many people. You don't get that same experience as you're going to no doubt get when you're playing a video game at home. So then we... We play this stuff, and yeah, but we're not getting the full experience. Like, what was that first game that you played? Power Chord. Power Chord. That just, it's all about music. Yeah, the the gameplay is phenomenal enough to make me want to play more of it regardless, but, like, that's a a detail of it I really feel like I should have been thinking. It's about, like, like, imagine, like, you know, we did Chomping at the Bits. Imagine having to play Tony Hawk 
on a show floor and you can't even take in any of the music. Yeah, it's such a vibe to the whole thing. Yeah, it's like, so, you know, that it's especially good when they're, you know, giving out, you know, demo codes and stuff like that. So we can try this stuff in a quieter setting, whether it is something like the hotel room or, you know, when we get home to our own respective homes, we could sit down and really in the natural environment be like, okay, I am at the point I would be playing this video game if it came out today, so I can really assess it better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Um, so yeah, you can check that one out now if you want. I, it's fun. I think it's a really like clever thing that's being handled well. It, it, it is clever. It's like this a satirical is, game. I think the game was like $8. It's not going to be a $60 full price game. It is... It is a game worth trying. It is a game worth honestly supporting. Like there is an earnestness behind the development. It seems like that it's a couple people having a lot of fun and working really hard on making something that plays completely competently, feels great and has pretty good music, too. Yeah, absolutely. Let's keep chugging along here. Um, you want to talk a little bit about Depths of Sanity, which I also played a teensy bit of? Yeah, I more watched you play this. This is a game that's pretty interesting to me. It is a Metroidvania game where you are piloting a submarine. And like, um, you know, games we've been talking about, really, like uh, Spider Hack I played yesterday. And even today when I played um, the uh, Phantom Brigade. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a lot of games where physics matters, and I do have to say that this game is another one of those because since you're piling a submarine in water, there's a sense of inertia. Even if you stop moving forward, you don't stop dead in your tracks. You're still floating because you're in water. So you have to be able to navigate that. And I saw other people playing as well. They were a little bit farther and you were, they were using things like tow lines and stuff to pull themselves along. And depending on the currents and stuff, that result would like fling them in directions and stuff. So... It's an interesting take for sure, because normally one of the hallmarks I feel like of good Metroidvanias is you always have constant control of a character, whether it's Castlevania, you know, a Metroid, a Bloodstain. You feel like you're always in control. I feel like you're typically in Depths of Sanity, just from what I've seen, probably about 80 percent in control, because if you're moving, you're not able to stop on a dime and stuff. So it changes how you approach movement and combat. Yeah. And there's like diving bell power ups and stuff. And there's there's a bunch of different feels to shake it up. but generally like the little bit i got to touch like you were fighting against like wind like uh currents blowing through tunnels and stuff like there's some neat ideas in here no some great ideas and also there's even another thing that i saw with i didn't see if you got to this but what uh the other people i saw you can send someone out of the submarine yeah i did that yeah to swim so it's almost like a blaster master where you have your giant yeah, armored yeah. object you know you have your tank and you do have to keep an eye on your oxygen meter when you are uh yeah, there's other things to consider when you send someone out swimming. My guess is they're more vulnerable. Like, if they probably get hit by one of the things you're supposed to fight as a submarine, they're probably done. Oh, more more than likely, I would say so. Yeah. This so, also weirdly reminded me of it in a different way, just the pure premise of, since, you know, Metroidvania and a submarine, Song of the Deep oh, okay. uh, from Insomniac is yeah. literally that, and a pretty good one of those. Uh, Wasn't that published by, like, GameStop? It was. Like, I think it was, like, their only published game? No, they put out, like, two or three things. Then that was definitely the most high profile. That was because it was because it was because it was Insomniac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that game was good. I never. That game is great. Okay. Well, maybe they'll revisit it one day. You know, after GameStop becomes like an Amazon fulfillment center. Yeah, whatever, whatever's going on there. Uh, Maybe just Insomniac could make a new one. Well, it depends on who wants the publishing rights. Yeah. Well, that's the question, right? And I don't know. Yeah. Let's ask Bob GameStop. Bob GameStop here. How are you doing? Uh, but yeah, Depths of Sanity, we're checking out for sure. Last one 
if you're ready. Oh, God, this game. This is where we might be here for a few minutes. We're going to talk about WrestleQuest. Oh, dear God, WrestleQuest. I played a goddamn... Like, they just... When I tell you... He played too much of it. I played this game for so long that Xavier Woods showed up at the booth. Yes, Rich somehow broke the laws of reality and an actual celebrity showed up while he was playing the game. Yeah, and like, I, you know what's a weird thing is like I would have liked to have stopped and been like, can I get a picture or something? But like I'm in the middle of like doing a work meeting right now. Yeah, and I didn't want to bother him because <coughs> the dev team, you know, they were talking to him because it was clear he had promised to come over at some point and they didn't expect him right then no i remember rich didn't even notice at first because he was like into what he was doing so i tap him on the shoulder i'm like yeah. <laughs> and there's xavier woods yeah just look briefly over me and be like holy shit oh hey yes he was wearing a yu yu Hakusho shirt <laughs> yes yes he was nerd. um he, he's such a swole handsome nerd swole handsome strong nerd <laughs> Yeah! So All that's right. our review of Xavier Woods. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about WrestleQuest. Let's talk about WrestleQuest, yeah. You might have seen... Um, There's a video that went up a couple weeks ago, a trailer. From, yeah, Microsoft promoting some smaller games that kind of... A lot of people were talking about this. This is... There's like a weird meta layer for the framing of this game. It is a wrestling RPG, like turn-based, old-style JRPG that is set in... Like a world of toys, like yeah, it's a, it's a world of action. You're 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 an action figure. You're an old school, inspired by early '90s wrestling action figures. Now I'm a little bit older, so I had these as a kid. They were short legged, really broad, big chested, like jacked as hell arms and a slightly too big head. Yeah, and like their arms are you'd be able to wind them up into like uppercut things, and that's what they're clearly basing their characters yeah, off and of. Like the a lot of the characters and there's some really fun ones. Yeah, um, including real ones. Inclu- yes, uh, well, as I was gonna say, in addition to real ones, like Jake the Snake Roberts is in this. Macho Man Randy Savage is in this. Under, under, under the Giants in this. There's Junkyard Dog, Coco Beware. We can sit here and just name them for ten minutes. There's because there's a lot. Also, Jeff Jarrett was actually at PAX. He wasn't there when we talked to the team, but I saw him a couple times, and we heard he was just enjoying the hell out of himself being at a game convention, which is awesome. And also, yeah, your your character is a little Macho Man based. You're Pretty early on in the demo, I was building, you ended up going by Muchacho Man. Muchacho Man. And your name is Randy Santos. Yes. Uh, So let me talk a little bit about the combat, and then we can talk about some of the bigger themes, because I I literally got to play this from the start for about an hour. Yeah, you Um, got there quite a bit. They they liked that we were enjoying it, I think, and it also, we were probably their last appointment of the day. Yes. Uh, So Besides one Mr. Xavier Woods. Yes, so they probably just kind of wanted to let me soak it in. But yeah, the combat is uh, very reminiscent of, I think, an easy example of the Mario RPGs. I think specifically the first Mario RPG. And then beyond that, all yeah. the uh, the Game Boy stuff that came after Mario and Luigi. Yeah, well, I'm just thinking especially the first one, because even that UI, when the buttons are around well, you... That's also in a they, lot of they those kept games. Those, okay. Yeah, and those really are the successors to that. So yeah, you see the buttons represented there, and you have some basic strikes, you have uh, some bigger stronger technique attacks uh in addition to that as you start to sort of build out your your stable and your roster you can start doing team up attacks tag team attacks tag team stuff it's it's really cool um but basically and this the cool part is how much they take the ring into account when you're in a match uh you can do like a basic strike and then you know you'll get a button prompt to hit this at the right timing and you'll do more damage and there's a lot of these button prompts basic attacks special attack like 
you can do more damage with that timed element. I believe that even applies to defensive stuff as well. Yeah, it, depending on where you are in the ring, you might have the chance to dodge a shot. Likewise, if you keep attacking consistently, you can push your enemy up against the ropes, which, you know, when you attack, then you push them into the ropes and you get another button timing for a follow-up attack. Yeah, they get hung up in the ropes, just like what happens in pro wrestling. This game really wears its love of pro wrestling, specifically late 80s, early 90s pro wrestling, on its sleeve. It wears it pretty hard, but it is a good... It seems like, again, I didn't play as Rich did. It seems like a well-playing RPG. It plays phenomenally. The combat's fun, and then what sells it all beyond that is it commits to its gimmick, but not in a way that sucks. Like, it's some very smart writing. It's self-aware in all the correct ways. It's not dumbass meme humor. It yeah. is... It is stuff that fans of wrestling will pick up on, fans will recognize, and then if you have friends that aren't wrestling fans, but they're playing it because, say, you're playing it, then you get to feel awesome by explaining to them what the reference is. Yeah, exactly. Um, it follows two, like, uh, sort of splitting and diverging. They're, the devs are basically telling us, you know, this stuff will all come back together at some point. But you're following two different protagonists. Yes, you're following Randy Santos, as we talked about. Yes, um, who is the sort of, you know, self-made, I'm going to be the hero, like, emulating Macho Man type. And then I, I, I this is going to annoy me because I can't remember the name of the second protagonist, but... I can't remember his name, but let's just say he is a Canadian wrestler with big sunglasses whose dad happens to own a Canadian-inspired wrestling federation, while in no way being directly an analog for this person whatsoever due to legal reasons. Exactly. Exactly. So that should tell you everything you want to know. But, like, that is the point. You're getting another side of that, like, industry and the narrative, which is, like, you know, the the wrestling family. Well, I love that also, the Canadian side, because your tag team partner was a moose with a hockey stick. Yes. You see other wrestlers outside. One is clearly a hockey player. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if a Mountie shows up at some point, just given the era. And also, uh, this section of the game, uh, which is probably the last bit that I'll directly talk about, like some JYD story stuff that happens there is you get into a match and there's like some weird conflict because there are these big sort of like moments in this game where like it's dramatic, dramatic moments, moments the game calls them where like it can set up whether you're going to be, you know, a heel or whether you're going to be put over, stuff like that. The path you're going to take as a wrestler. Okay, but before we have to... Okay, so spoiler alert for pro wrestling. For it's, anyone who may or may not know the business, pro wrestling, everyone, it's not... Make sure the kids are out of the room. It's not fake, but the results are generally predetermined. predetermined. Yes. These are athletic uh, showcases. They are not genuine competitions. Correct. Um, so yeah, basically for this dramatic moment, the terms of doing it the way you're supposed to do it, or, I mean, you're making a choice really, right? But it tells you how to end the match, specifically that you end up throwing it by throwing a pin at the end. Yeah, you, you do, you do the job. Yeah. Um, if you choose to do so, which I did to see how it kind of tags out, your tag team partner is kind of a little like bent out of shape about it because he doesn't like yeah. doing things that way. Yeah, um, and it's weird. Some like the your opponents, they care way so much about the wins, whereas the character you're playing is like, well, no, well, this is the way the story is supposed to go. This is what is in the script. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Coming from that wrestling family is a character that well, would have an understanding and, of that. And you know, it's I was talking to one of their PR people the entire time you were playing. Like we were going back and forth pretty much the entire time. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of wrestling tropes in here for people who scratch beneath that surface of just watching shows. Like if they, you know, a lot of wrestling fans, especially, you know, my age, a little bit older, a little bit younger, like to understand the world behind it because it is not a typical nine to five job. No, no, no. So they want people to, you know, they want people to understand these tropes, like how some people can really care about winning and losing. Like they want more wins in their record, even though they know the matches are predetermined. It's not a real competition. Yeah. Yeah. But they still want to so, be the one coming out on top. Yes. The, I, they want to be celebrated for that. And like, and then you have the people that just like analytically look at it like, well, if it's not a real competition, like I don't care about my win loss record. I'm like, being told how this goes. Yeah. And I guess, you know, it comes from a mentality sometimes like what are you being paid to do? Are you being paid to be a storyteller or are you paid to be like yeah. a competitor? You need to look at if, whether you're looking at like, yeah, like a competition or whether you're being paid to put on a show. Yeah. And the thing and tonight, I'm the villain. Yeah. And you know what, though? I think it's impressive that the game is tackling that, because even if you look at, like, say, the quote unquote simulation wrestling games, like they almost not hide the fact that it's a not a competition but the game is presented as a competition like you know you're supposed to be winning your matches in a wwe 2k game whereas this game you know right at the beginning they're like yo throw this match and you could have chosen to do so or not if you didn't pull off the dramatic finish prompts the story manager would have been mad yeah and would the story have gone in a different direction i don't actually know but there definitely would have been some changes to dialogue exchange yeah yeah, like story events yeah i doubt you go on like story fork with b to c like you know it's not you know it's not near automata like no no (laughs) um but you know you get some choice in this and that actually is really cool because it shows you how you want to craft your character mentality wise like it's almost like imagine a jrpg equivalent of the paragon renegade system for mass effect yeah yeah exactly the heel baby face <laughs> yeah anti i wonder if they do like anti-hero i mean and they just have an impressive roster well, from what uh the pr guy who's helping us out was telling us he said there's like a story moment where you kind of make the decision about whether you're going to turn heel or not yeah and the thing is if anyone is as old as me and remembered some like magic heel turns like when hogan turned heel in wcw you know, and you see, you know, get that crowd reaction and crowd reaction is also part of this. Yeah, You have a hype meter and the hype meter gets affected by several things. You can give interviews backstage, practice, trash talk, trash talking. Um, there's also uh, you, you can kind of lose. You can gain hype faster by making sure you vary your moves. Because yeah. you got to remember, it's not just a fight I'm putting on a show. Yeah. Like think about to anyone who's watched pro wrestling. Like if you just see nothing but, you know, you can't just keep spamming elbow drops. Can't keep spamming elbow drops. You know, sometimes 15 suplexes in a row is funny. But if that's all a wrestler does, you're going to get bored to tears. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you got to keep that move set varied. And then if your hype meter goes down below certain thresholds you actually get debuffs placed on you like at one point i saw rich was doing less damage with moves i was seeing at one point the button opportunities to do your timed hits were going to be hidden because of your debuffs but then you could also get buffs if you get your height meter high enough where you do like increased damage and you have more windows and stuff to yeah hit those perfect attacks one, one mechanic we didn't really touch on was the pinning system which yeah for one we should point out this is an rpg where there's going to be like random encounters at some point and there are fights that don't that, that are just fights that don't yeah. require pinning. You hit the enemy until they run out of HP and they're dead. But in anything that is like a fight against another wrestler, that is a wrestling match. Yeah, because there are other toys interacting in this toy box world. Yeah, we've seen toy robots. We saw little uh, Lego people. We saw for completely legally distinct reasons, a certain tuber creature where you could apply different facets of a human anatomy to them, such as lips or eyes. 
yeah, 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 potato heads. Um, Their heads might have been potatoes, potatoes but who but can for say? Le- legally distinct reasons, they could have been a root, a root vegetable of any sort. Yeah, really. turn up. It would have worked either way. Uh, I saw an anime girl when we were by that Macho Man Randy Savage statue. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, one of my favorite was the fake Sting, the fake Sting wrestler that was somehow both surfer Neon Crow. Yes. Yeah, surfer Sting and, and black and white. And, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the pinning system. Yeah, we really got off track there. Uh, basically, when you're fighting the wrestler, when their HP drops to zero, they basically are stunned, and then you can choose to go for the pin. And in order to succeed at the pin, you get a timing bar. You have to press A when the bar is stopped in the right position. You have to do that three times in ten seconds to pin them. If you mess it up, they get a little bit of health back and get back up, but the next time you knock them down, it'll be a little bit easier to pin them. Which, and you see that even in a pro wrestling match, like they'll pin them over and over. They'll be like, oh, that person must be getting tired having to kick out all the time. Yeah. So it even has like a thematic like resonance with the source material. Well, that was a pretentious line. Um, Look at you. I know. It's like I went to college. Um... Any bigger thoughts on that, or should we? I cannot wait for this game. Like this is this game looks like I like I they have like a they have sort of a handle on the RPG part that reminds me of like Zeboid games. Sure. In terms of competency and nailing like an art style that feels throwback but also original. Like they're you're not just saying oh they're aping this game. They're no they're taking references from so much. That but it, the, it seems entirely their own. Well, that's the thing that some of all those parts comes out as original enough to where you're just like god damn they're hitting it. Yeah, one hundred percent agreed. I I was already excited from this from seeing the video. Now I cannot wait. Yeah, I was even just watching Rich play the game, and it just seems like something that you can really lose yourself in. And it does. Did they say that length? I don't think they did. Uh, they did talk to us about length. And they said about uh, somewhere in the range of 30 hours, but could go up somewhere to 60 with side quests. Yeah, see, that's a good that's a good meaty length for a game. <laughs> if you want that sort of RPG in your life, if you're that sort of age that remembers that era of wrestling and that era of RPG, then that's something that you're probably used to also time wise. Perfect. So I think that's going to wrap it for these packed podcasts. Uh, we would love to stay and talk with you guys more, but it's going to be Curtis quiet hour in our hotel soon. Yeah, um, if, if we if they we make any noise, they hit us with tasers. Yeah, so I'm sure you're going to see some written content in the next few days. So keep an eye out for that. Um, Mine will be written entirely using Josh's deciphered rune language from Tunic. That's the way to do it. That that will be the way all written content on Sword Chop will now go up. I'm not going to have a fun time editing that. Let's get out of here. All right. I was just lying. That's not actually going to happen. Well, why would you? You're a liar sometimes. I mean, I'm a liar all the time. Night. Night.